0: You are listening to Prove Text, a Glossa House podcast exploring scripture with Dr. T. Michael W. Halcombe and Dr. Frederick J. Long. Welcome and enjoy.
1: Hello, welcome to Prove Text. I'm Michael Halcom and I'm with Fred Long and we are discussing the last two verses of Galatians chapter 3. Oh my, it has taken a long time to get here, but uh, once we're done with these, we're about halfway through the the texts. So um, we hope you're enjoying this audio commentary. Uh, real quick, Fred, how are you?
0: Hey, doing good. Yeah, I um, I hope you're doing well too. Uh, halfway point, if you look at my Greek Matters YouTube channel, you see that I finished Ephesians 1 through 3, and I think I finished that maybe two or three years ago, maybe four. So I haven't made any progress since then, but I can Assure you that Michael and I will continue on. I will eventually continue on in Ephesians four, but um, it's really a labor of love. We, we en- I really get energized by doing this. Uh, but we want to give you great content. Uh, of course, the Word of God in the raw, in Greek, you know, naked is is great content. Like you don't get any better content than this. Uh, maybe even the first podcast to do this, right? To work progressively through a biblical book in the original languages interpreting it thinking about theology uh spiritual formation and life like this may be the only text uh, podcast that does that and i be on the cutting edge there with with michael Yeah. well we're at uh, galatians 3:28 and uh, we're about
1: to head into the new year end of 2022 so um yeah, we'll end this and then head into a new chapter. So you can see what I did there. Um let's go to three twenty-eight if you have a Greek Testament. And uh it reads like this Uc any Udeos U the Elaine, Ucani Thulos U the Elevderos, Ucani Arsen Khelu. Pandasgar gar meis is este in Christo Yesu.
0: Alright. Wow. Okay. So last time I was talking about the the, the layers of gars. Gar indicates support. It means for, for or because or since or something. In, in English, we translate often as for, but it indicates substantiation. And we have a piling up mm. of layers of support. Yeah. Layers of support for the preceding claims. So twenty six contains a gar, twenty seven contains a gar, and twenty eight has no connecting conjunction. Now in Greek, and Greek studies, we call that a sindeton. A syndeton means that there's no connector. So it, we're left then to imply the logical connectin connection. And and here. I mean, there's no gar, there's no for, but it feels like it's, it's a basic kind of reality that, that grounds maybe what has gone before.
1: It's very uh, attention getting too, right? Like, um, so just a a simple example, maybe I've even used this before. You could say something like, and... I went to the store and I grabbed a drink and I went to the counter. I paid. Right. You you hear the and 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 boom, it's gone. Like that one sticks out. It's emphatic. It's attention getting.
0: Yeah. So translation of verse 28 would be there is no Jew nor Greek. There is no slave. Nor free; there is no male and female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. Okay, so that's verse twenty-eight. Uh, so there's no there's no conjunction that links twenty-eight with twenty-seven. It's a syndeton. So we're left to figure out what is the relationship between there and then moreover as michael's just said there's a there's a repetition uh in the greek it's it's ouk eni ouda ouk eni ouda ouk ke yeah so rather than uh ouda which means neither you have a ke which we would basically translate as and uh, and so as Michael was, you know, as we were talking about this verse a little bit beforehand, like scholars have racked their brains over why is this the case? What's the implication of that? And all that kind of thing. And so we need to think about that. Um, yeah. So uh, I think one one motivation for a syndeton, for that is no connection like therefore or for. Or and or but, those are all connectors. This verse doesn't have that at the beginning. One motivation for that could be that this is a mini section, like it's a it's a break. And I think there's something to be said for that. Um also I think it's a rather bald statement, like of of existential reality. Like we're hitting like the baseline of the reality in Christ, namely that that ethnicity Jew Greek doesn't matter, social status uh, slave free doesn't matter, and gender, uh, sex, male female doesn't matter. But in that last grouping, whereas Jew and Greek. And slave and free are connected with a neither Uda, neither, and neither. A- and and the de in that Uda is marking distinction, like new distinction. So a Greek is distinguished from a Jew, uh, a free person is distinguished from a slave with Male and female, we don't get uda. We don't get that distinction marked by that connector. Instead, we have a ke, which marks addition. And I think that's because arsen and thule, th- uh, thelu, uh, male, female, are are more alike than they are different. <laughs> mm. Because both bear the image of God. Male and female, he made them. Uh, In the image of God, he made them. Male and female, he made them. Male and femaleness, we are more alike than different uh, because we each equally bear the image of God. And um, I think maybe that is what's at stake here? Yeah, well, there's a
1: little bit of a little bit of trouble with that. I mean, you're going to say the Jew and Greek don't equally bear the image of God.
0: So that's that's a so that's a, one one but one but one I would say is a created category, and these other ones are social constructs. See, male femaleness is created, right? Whereas Jew, Gentile, Jew, Greek, that's a that's not. It's a pseudo
1: category, right? Yeah, so. Like I, I would, I would maybe change the language a little bit. Earlier, you said um, that Jew and Greek don't matter, right? That slave and free don't matter, male and female don't matter. I would just maybe say those those matter, but not the same way within the body of Christ as in society. And I think that's the ultimate point here: is that Baptism in Christ is the great equalizer, so to speak. Um, that that within the church, within the body of Christ, among those who are baptized, uh, the distinction of Jew or Greek evaporates. Uh, I don't know, maybe evaporates isn't. No, I don't want to say evaporates. It isn't what it isn't uh, your chief identity marker. That's a better way to say it. not that it evaporates. So you don't lose your Jew-ness or your Greekness, ness um, but that is not your chief identity marker. So similarly, slave and free in the body of Christ is not your chief identity marker. Male and female is not your chief identity marker. Your chief identity marker is
0: you are baptized in Christ. Yeah, yeah. And you are all one yeah. in Christ. Right. So, you know, we don't want to just be individualistic and say, you know, it's just about me and I'm, you know, I'm this individual and I, you know, God loves me, me alone, me, 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 me. Well, it's actually you all are one. So this corporateness of mutual belonging, uh, equalizes us in a, in a very profound way, uh, and unifies us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I should say two of the things I should point out, uh, I want to point out before we take a break, is that the verb um, to be, there is neither Jew nor Greek. We, you, one might think that's simply the verb imi, which means to be. Right? It's not. It's enimi, enimi. Now, en is a preposition that marks um, in this, in something and I would say that it's, it's, it's pointing to the more essential inwardness of something. And that's what Paul is denying, is that the Jew or Greek as an in inness reality isn't exist, is, is non-existent.
1: Like, again, I don't know. That's it's non-existent. It's just not the chief thing. It's not. It's not what. It's not what your chief identity marker is. I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't because I don't think elsewhere, like in Colossians, uh, like the Scythian right doesn't lose their identity or as a Scythian, Jews and Greeks don't lose that ethnic marker. But it is no longer the thing that gives them status within the body of Christ. What gives them status?
0: is Christ. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. But if we put on Christ, and if people's social status and ethnicity and gender were worn and seen in clothing, and if Paul has already said, you're not, you're you're now putting on Christ, and then that's immediately followed up, you are not inside, like a Jew does not exist. That's what he's basically saying um this verb is glossed to be or to exist in a certain context so um yeah there is not a jew there is not a greek yeah you are when you are in the body of christ you are not
1: mainly this or chiefly this or this is not your identity right uh, i think this has volumes to speak about our modern society of like identity politics, where where we want to put, where people are trying to put, for example, their sexuality is their identity. Well, no, that and especially in the church. I mean, if there's any verse perhaps that speaks against that infiltrating a church, it's this verse. Absolutely. And there, there are a bunch like that. You got First Corinthians 12, 13, Colossians 3, 11, Romans 10, 12.
0: You got a bunch uh, that are like that, but... Yeah, this is not just an isolated verse. But even if it were, there is a core that Paul has reached here, but it's not alone. It's not alone. He's talking about fundamental realities uh, and in, in our baptism and, and what we wear, what we show, who we are. Yeah. It's beyond... Our gender. Yeah, I wonder about this sexuality thing, you know, like our gender or or sex. um, You know, like what is it like in the afterlife? Like, is my maleness important then? Um, Will I lose that? Uh, Jesus does say you'll be like the angels and neither married nor given in marriage. Um, Now, for a male, that may not be so important but for a female in this culture that's huge i mean they're basically like property you know they have very little say in who they were married they're basically like tools for social alliances um yeah for for a male in in this culture like this doesn't speak to me a whole lot but if i were living in other cultures and i were a female i think this would be huge now ra- radical yeah radical very radical um yeah and i don't i don't know what the afterlife holds i mean i do i want to continue to be male i suppose but i think to think about it is i'm i'm even more than that but that is a part of my created reality and i can't i can't deny that i think there's something different about that than being jew or greek or slave or free i i do think that our gender is is more fundamental to our identities i don't know how that carries over into afterlife um being like angels i don't
1: think we become angels or but i i do think we retain our sex um and I think that also speaks volumes with regard to like the trans, transgender stuff that's happening. This is why I always, I'm very careful to never equate gender with biological sex. They're two different things. Gender is a made up cultural construct, sex is an inherent biological reality.
0: Now, some people are born with some confusion, like, biologically and it's actually more common than people would know You're talking
1: about intersex basically
0: yeah intersex hermoda- hermodafric, uh, hermaphroditic kind of uh, genitalia and that kind of stuff in undifferentiated or both that does happen so there is there is something to be thought through there yeah but yeah Paul is not talking about that but
1: we don't use the exception to make the rule. <laughs>
0: like um but there does need to be compassion and understanding in, in cases like certainly that. but your your
1: your maleness or intersexness or your femaleness the point still stands that is not your chief identity marker or even an important identity marker in Christ like your your identity
0: marker is that you are in Christ now Jesus interestingly talks about you know those born eunuchs. And that category of eunuch is like, might have included intersex people. Yeah, there was a, an interesting podcast where the author was speaking about this kind of thing. It was really illuminating because even Jesus mentions that that this idea of eunuch covers a broader, you know, biological, it may include people like that, uh, that there are some who were born that way and, and they're in the kingdom. So our kingdom work transcends that aspect of who we are and we can still be in the kingdom and be loved and be baptized into Christ and carry and be clothed with Christ.
1: What, what really upsets me is for that minority of people. I mean, I think it's like less than 1% in the world, that that deal with that is that you have others who, who prey on that to sort of justify like transgenderism, you know? And I think that's just, I think it's wrong. I think it's cruel um, right, that somehow because there's a minority of people born with intersex issues, that transgender people then can piggyback on that and use it to as another card in their pocket or feather in their cap to justify what they're trying.
0: The same kind of argument holds for abortions, and you know, in the case of incest or you know, terrible abnormal abnormal. Normal abnormalities abnormality abnormality in the child, um, you know, justifies abortion, but um, that it doesn't follow, and um, yeah, giving that rights to everybody, yeah, for you all, you yourselves are all. There's a lot of emphasis in, in the end of verse 28 because you have the pontes, all, which is inclusive in scope, you have the umis, which is you which is already specified in the verb form este. So you yourselves are all, and then you have one in Christ Jesus. Yeah. So very powerful. Something I've been meaning to talk about is the political dimensions of this. The idea of children growing up and becoming mature and adults is actually a political metaphor. Cicero writing in this first century BC uses this kind of metaphor as he's describing the growth of the Roman people and the Roman state and empire. Uh, Well, before him, it wasn't quite an empire. It was still a Senate controlled, but um, the the growth of the nation was described in terms of like infancy and becoming mature. I, I do think that there is some, the, the nascent beginning point of of political thinking here around Christ as as a Messiah and as one who gets to dictate you know the nature of the people around him and is the example the exemplar of righteous good lawful behavior like that's what the ideal king was to be and so this this idea of uh, of a multiplicity of people coming together and being one is, I think, a political idea. Um, and we need to recover that because, again, we're often divided around our politics when really we should be unified under the politics of Jesus. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. There's a good yeah. book that came out. I reviewed it in a journal some time ago titled
1: Christ the Ideal yeah. King. Um, oh, yeah. I can't remember who wrote it, but sure if you guys google it you'll find it after listening head on over to glosahouse.com there you'll find all kinds of bible language and theology resources glosahouse has a stock of audio video apps digital and print resources to meet your teaching and learning needs best of all everything is innovative accessible and affordable House, language resources for the global community Hello and welcome back. We're discussing Galatians three. This is the last verse of that chapter, so um, I'm going to read it. And if you want to read along, please do. Uh, it goes like this: "Idea Christu, sperma
0: este, All right. That book, by the way, about ideal king is by uh, Julian. Julian Smith, Christ the Ideal King, cultural context, rhetorical strategy, and the power of divine monarchy in Ephesians. So yeah, I was I presented uh, a lot of research, written uh, a lot of research on this, published. He came out with this right around the same time. Sadly, didn't interact with my my work. but oh, bummer! Came out right around the same time. But yeah, Julian Smith. Uh, okay, so verse twenty nine. Moreover. If you are of Christ, then you are seed of Abraham, or Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Okay, so this is a, a new point that is made with the connector de. It's a conditional uh, clause. That is, it has a protasis or supposition. The if part of it. And then it's followed by the conclusion, or in Greek, it's called the apodosis, apodosis, um, which is sometimes in English uses the conjunction then. So the main sentence really is you are seed of Abraham if you are Christ's heirs according to the promise. So uh, what's interesting about this conditional sentence is that it's very existential there's no explicit verb in the if part of the sentence it literally is if you of christ so uh we supply the verb are because the you is plural so if you are of christ and then what's also interesting about this is in greek you don't need a then uh, to complete the if then, and in English we don't always use the then. Also, we can we can use conditional sentences without then. You know, if I go to the store, I'll get some broccoli. I wouldn't usually say if I go to the store, then I will get some broccoli, unless there was a motivation in the in the, in the context of a conversation. And you could begin to imagine a situation where if I wanted to stress. You know, then I'll get to broccoli, then I would specify the then. Well, Greek is the same way. Most of the time when you have if if uh, conditional sentences with if, you don't specify the then. It's implied. But here in verse 29, you in fact have a specified then, which is really stressing the, the logic, the causal logic of if, then which is a causal logic. So, and this is really getting to the point of of the whole passage, is that you are seed of Abraham. You're Abraham's seed. And there's another stressor here, and that is that Abraham is the possessor of the seed. In Greek, this is the genitive case, to Abraham, typically, genitive nouns follow what they possess. Not in this case. In this case, to Abraham is fronted before what it modifies. This is stressing Abraham as possessor or owner or origin of the seed. In, in this case, like the relationship that the seed have. So the vital point that Paul is making is that you, the Gentiles to whom I'm writing, you Galatians belong to Abraham. your Abraham's seed. And then if that isn't stressed enough, so you have a piling up of in Greek of, of uh, points of stress and emphasis. You have the ara, which means then which specifies the causal connection. You have the fronted genitive, Abraham, stressing Abraham as the relationship, the father of the seed, the originator of the seed, which goes back to the promise. We also have a comma and then what's called apposition. Apposition is when you abut one noun to another Mm -hmm. noun to give it further Mm -hmm. qualification or definition. And that's usually for effect. So when an author does this, they're stressing an important point. And so the last three words here of verse twenty-nine of chapter three of Galatians is is this, and heirs according to the promise. <laughs> so you are seeds of Abraham, heirs according to the promise, and this. Boy, this takes us back to the beginning of Galatians three, where the Scripture, you know, promised, made promises to Abraham before the law came. So this idea of promise, the gospel was preached ahead of time to Abraham by giving him the promise that your uh, the the nations of the world will be blessed through you. Well, guess what? In the gospel. We are the fulfillment of that promise. We are the heirs, seed of Abraham, according to the promise. And this is the mother load for Paul. Like, this is the point. This is the point. And what this means is that we're not under law. (laughs) Like, the law came after the promise, and, and the law was to lead us to Christ. And so now we're in this reality of Christ and that that determines our identity. And, and what that means is then that we're, f- we're the fulfillment of the promise, the gospel preached to Abraham ahead of time. Wow. So we've reached a really fundamental point here in the argument. Yeah, I'm really excited about this because there's a lot of prominence devices. Um, I'd say the type of condition it is is you have e the conjunction e with an assumed present tense followed by a present tense indicative verb this is a simple a, a present simple condition like it's a it's a basic reality like this is what is like now this is the reality and so i think that carries its own kind of semantics like ontologically this is what you are This is what is, this is, you know, this is, this is who you are. This is huge because, I mean, a Jew or a Judean or someone who's focused on the law and law observance, they'd be wanting to say, you guys are outsiders. You're among the nations. Uh, You're suspect. You have a different social status. You don't belong in God's covenantal purposes. Paul's saying, "Uh -uh uh-uh-uh. They are actually at the core of it. They're the fulfillment of it. Like this is something to be celebrated and firmly embraced. And wow, that's what Paul is doing. Like he's giving them a big family hug right now, big family hug. And Michael, I know you would say with Jesus, the big brother in the center of it, right? Right. Yeah, that's good.
1: Yeah, you are seed. Um that's interesting. That neuter nominative plural neuter, or that's actually the singular there. Sperma. You, to sperma. You are.
0: Yeah. You are seed. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, literally the sperm the word sperm is derived from the Greek sperma. Uh it doesn't mean that, but it I mean it kind of that's part of its meaning. It means descendants. Uh but through that that very biological kind of act or reality. Paul's not thinking of sperm, I don't think. And we shouldn't be thinking of it that way, but it is a way of like legitimacy, like a family belonging. And that's what's so scandalous about this, right? Is because we legitimately belong.
1: Yeah, it's not your Jewness or your Greekness or your slaveness or your freeness or your maleness or your femaleness it's that you are the seed of Abraham and in Christ God made a promise to Abraham and God in
0: Christ has made good on that promise yeah. and if you and so the condition is, is is if if you are of Christ which means if you belong to Christ then this is your reality. Yeah, you are Abraham's seed, heirs of the promise.
1: You know, a way to not belong to Christ is to elevate your Jewness first, is to elevate your Greekness first, your maleness, your femaleness first, your slaveness or your freeness first. To elevate any other part of your identity first is to make you not of Christ. And again, in our culture of social identity politics, Where sexuality seems to reign supreme, I am gay, I am lesbian, I am queer, I am transgender, and all these these labels, uh, they take precedent, hey, you have just, in, in, in elevating that to primacy, you have just thrown off your garment of being clothed in Christ.
0: Yeah, that's a very powerful point. You know, there's these places in Paul and Jesus where you have strong declarations of of who inherit the kingdom or who don't inherit the kingdom. And by the way, that's a, a correlation here because Paul is talking about inheritance. So, for example, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, he says, you know, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? You don't you know that? Don't be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolater, nor adulterers, nor male softies or penetrators, nor... no, no male softies, uh, nor male penetrators nor thieves nor uh greedy people nor drunkards nor slanderers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of god i could take you to other lists like that what i began to note is that the people who will not inherit are nominalized like they're nouns and what that means is that they are identified by their sin, by sins, by sinful actions. If you allow yourself to be so controlled by sin or so manipulated by culture, so manipulated that you take on identities that are contrary to God's will, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those identities have no standing and, and will be rejected by God. And this this is a partial list. It's not a complete list. We don't want to focus on some sinful actions as opposed to others, although we should take note that certain ones occur more frequently. You won't inherit it. And one of the ones that is very commonly listed first as a vice, as something that we can do, it's something that we can take on as our identity, is sexual immorality. I'm telling you, it is a killer. Because it, it it's so prevalent, uh, there's something about it that I think is gets to a core, basic source of our identity. Like, may he made we, humans were made in the image of God, male and female. He made us. There's something very fundamental about our identity that, uh, as image bearers of God, and male and female is a part of that. And I would say the evil one works overtime to corrupt our identities, our, our human-made, God-made identities as male, female in our in our sexual uh identity. And he works overtime for us to violate that through adultery and all kinds of other things, through corruption, sexual moralities, and also to corrupt it in terms of homosexual living and, and behaviors, to normalize that as a kind of behavior and and beyond i mean i think we're just at the starting point of it i mean pedophilia is you know going to become seems like more and more prevalent like it's awful apparently it's just all kinds of sex trafficking of that you have bestiality probably coming into the fore as well you have uh polyamory happening increasingly where, you know, it's not dedication to one person. You, you're just, is an open relationship and multiple partners and stuff. I mean, it's gross. This is gross. And if we allow ourselves to be identified with that and to lean into that and say, no, this is who I am. Uh, Paul says, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's a violation of God's created order that's taking place at a large scale. Well that's a tough note to end
1: on, but we'll end there. Uh do you have a (laughs) Merry Christmas. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Happy New Year. Do you have a a parting shot for us?
0: I do. Judging others makes us blind, whereas love is illuminating. (laughs) And I think that's that's you know, that's uh uh our challenge, right? Is is speaking truth in love
1: well yeah i i'll say on that i mean i know we often don't comment on these uh parting shots but on this one i i think it's very very important because people will hear what you just said and be like oh you just contradicted everything you said in the previous breath but there's a difference in making a judgment call about someone's behavior And rendering a final judgment about their salvation. So, in fact, in scripture, we are commanded to make such judgment calls. We are not commanded or permitted to render a final verdict. That's up to God Himself. And so, uh, in terms of your comment there, it actually, when we understand it that way, when we see people. Identifying as their sin, and and that's who thinking that's who they are. Our job is to to make help to make a judgment call and to help them see the error in that way, because that's the most loving thing we can do. But that's wholly different than saying, "you, you are damned," or you know something that to that effect.
0: Yeah. So this this is from Bonhoeffer as well, Dietrich. The next two quotes I think are also. Related, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Mm-hmm. We want to give ourselves a pass. And then when Christ calls a person, he bids him come and die. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this quote by Bonhoeffer needs to be taken in context. Right. And he is definitely calling us to not cheap grace, but costly grace and and a costly grace of denying ourselves. And suffering for Christ and to come and die, you know, yep. we all burn with temptation in different ways. We're all tempted in different ways. And for some people, mm-hmm. it is a sexual temptation, like deeply. You know, I yep. want to be this way. You know, I'm same-sex attracted, whatever it might be. I'm tempted to lie all the time. I'm tempted to steal. I'm tempted this way or that way. It's It suffers. We suffer when we deny that sinful compulsion. And we all have them. So let's not focus more on one than others.
1: Well, I've often thought like uh, on my gravestone, if I have one, I'll have the the words of Count Zinzendorf, my probably all-time favorite quote, preach Christ, die, be forgotten. And uh, yeah, so... Well, anyways, uh, several parting shots for you guys there, Fred. Thanks for the insight. Thanks for your time, and we hope that you guys listening were found it thought provoking and you know illuminating. Keep listening, and uh, yeah, get in touch with us. So, Fred, thanks. Everybody else, thanks. You're welcome. Thanks. Have you a great new you. year, and uh, yeah, we'll yeah. talk to you later, Fred. Take care, everybody. Bye, bye.